Hey, legends, you know, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. They are all timeless and ready for you for when you're ready to listen. Download the lot and rip in. Let's get together and fight a fish for medical research in Australia's biggest fishing competition, the Pertec Fishing Challenge. Fish your favourite spots right across Australia. There's over $280,000 in cash and prizes to be won. It's only $30 plus postage to enter and we'll send you this cool cap, brag mat and sticker. Proudly supporting Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia and the Peter Duncan Neurosciences Research Unit. Enter now at pertechfishingchallenge.com.au. The great ones, they're different. They really are. Not better, just different. Sure, there's a physical power, a mental strength, a complex but resolute constitution too. There's a whole lot more than just the measurables. That's something else, that intangible. It separates us from them. Welcome to the Legends series on Andy Raymond Unfiltered. This guy, he's one of my first memories of the great game. He terrified me as a young bloke. As rugged as I recall, but way nicer than I could have imagined. Still as tough too. But who is Kurt Sorensen? Who is he? He's a, he's a bloke that was born in New Zealand. Um, raised in a good family life. And uh, where there was a lot of sports, um, a lot had gone on in his family, bef- in my family before before I came along, as far as sports was concerned. Um, and my parents, may- and primarily my mother, encouraged us to do every sport that was going. And I believe that that, that um, helped me to achieve what I achieved in, in my career. Normally we start at the beginning. Today we'll start with the now. You're sitting across from me, not 100%. There's crutches at the edge of the table. Um, what's happened, old mate? <laughs> uh, actually, there's been a lot of jokes at my work where I work, but um, uh, basically I was just doing a bit of a fitness runner on my push bike early in the morning down in, uh, down in the uh, snowy mountains in Cooma where I'm sort of based for work and stuff, and um, I was coming down a hill and just managed to uh, collide with a kangaroo when I was coming down pretty quickly, and um, it, was, it was pretty horrendous because I went up as soon as I hit it and I couldn't avoid it. Um, I went up in the air and then landed, come down on the road pretty heavy and uh, obviously broke my hip as soon as I landed. Uh, the sorest thing that I've ever experienced and that so that's saying a lot considering the, considering the career I've had the absolute most painful thing I've, I've ever done yes. so there's lots of uh, lots of things going through my head when, when that happened <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to laugh but that is <laughs> no, no. A, a tremendous story yeah, yeah. well because you know they know Everyone knows my career and that. Yeah. And there was lots of quips that came out about, well, the, you know, the can, you know, you always seem to go good against the kangaroos, <laughs> but uh, not this time. 
So what are you up to with yourself, working uh, down in the, the hydro area, are you? Yeah, I'm uh, on that Snowy Hydro project. Um, been there a couple of years now. I've been working in the mines the last about 11 or 12 years. <clears throat> I'm a, a bricklayer by trade, mm. but only did that so much when I was younger because of sort of football work, football work. Yep. We, we always had a full-time job. Uh, then I sort of... So I've always sort of been in construction and then progressed to the mines, which was a lot easier for me. And, um, yeah, I really enjoy it. You look a million dollars for 60-something years of age. 66. Feel good? Feel great. Well, yeah. Apart um, from the obvious, yeah. No, I um, I feel real good. I um, I work hard to keep it that way. Yeah. Yeah, no. Million dollars. We're sitting here on the beautiful Gold Coast hinterland. The flood damage is still evident from 2022. So if you hear a drill or some hammering or a truck, it's actually people rebuilding homes and rebuilding lives. It's extremely sad to see the devastation still. Did you guys get affected by the floods here at all? Uh, I I didn't personally. I live in a place called Corumman Valley, which is back up on the Gold Coast just over the other side of the border. So we, we didn't actually get affected, but uh, I know a lot of people that did, and it's, it's just um, it's just very, very sad mm. you know, the way um, the weather went. How's Brother Dane? Uh, how's he travelling? What's he doing with himself? Um, I think my brother's retired now. Uh, he, he was a builder. Yep. Done pretty well for himself. Still uh, living in Caringbar in, um, in the house that he built uh, bought in the early 80s, I think, when he was... When he first came over, wow! Um, and um, he's got a growing family now of three kids and grandkids, same as I have. So um, no, he's going all right, ticking along. Is being a granddad the greatest gift of all? You love it? Oh, I love it. Yeah, love it, love it. It's just like um, having your kids all over again, really. That's the way I sort of look at it. I'll be honest from the outset, I think you gave me nightmares, as I told you on the phone, watching footy as a kid. I think I was one of those kids that dreamt of representing Australia. I wanted to be the hooker, and that was the ideal dream. But then the nightmare and the reality set in, and I think you and Dane and the Tamities and Mark Graham and company popped into my dream to turn it to a nightmare. (laughs) It didn't seem like such a great idea, but your love affair with footy, you touched on it earlier, uh, a family that loved their sport, but a lot of that was your uncles, Bill and Dave. Yeah, well, they, my uncle Bill, who's my my father's brother, and also he's uh, Scotty Sorensen's grandfather. Yes, um, he was the one that was uh, New Zealand representative yeah. um, first in the in the family. Then it was my uncle David, who was a younger brother. <clears throat> And then um, my brother and I of the family, and then and then Scotty just recently become played for New Zealand as well. Yeah, an amazing <coughs> thrill, three generations. Yeah. That is very special, isn't it? Very, very special. Bill, I think, would go on to coach Auckland. He coached Mark Graham, who had some absolutely wonderful things to say about him. Uh, tough fellas, your uncles. Yeah. They um, well, we're sort of um, well, we're not sort of we're we're Tongan and Danish heritage. So <clears throat> on both, on, my mother and father were born in Tonga, and my, my father's side 
He was born in Tonga and came up to New Zealand when he was 13. The family came up just before the war. Um, and uh, then they had another two children in New Zealand. There's 11 in that family. Wow. Uh, and then was, there was nine in my mother's family. But um, very much an island sort of um, cu- culture, bringing up. And also we had the Danish side and Sorensen is, is Danish and that was my grandfather on my father's side. Would have you liked to play for Tonga? It wasn't an option back in the day, but it, it is in 2023. Would have that meant something to you? Um, yeah, I, I probably would have liked to. But, I mean, you know, being born in New Zealand and being raised in New Zealand, yeah. New Zealand was always the first first option for me as far as I was concerned. The Auckland competition back in the day, back in the 1970s when you first made your mark, the early 70s, <laughs> It was pretty much as good. It was certainly as tough, if not tougher, than the Sydney competition. It just didn't have, I guess, the profile and the money. But what a competition that was. When you look through some of the old magazines and the names, those sides would challenge anyone. Yeah. Um, well, you know, being a, being a young young fellow growing up in Auckland, we, we used to, um, the family used to go and watch all the club games and international games and at Carlow Park, which was like yeah. the, the mecca of, you know, be like another um, Lang Park yep. or Sydney Cricket Ground, you know, the New Zealand version. And, um, you know, that that certainly inspired a lot of uh, things in a lot of young guys mm. and they always they always wanted to achieve, you know, what, they, what they'd seen on the field. And um, I saw a lot of great players, a lot of ga- – Real good games over those years, and the, so that would have been the sixties and, and mm. early seventies. Then I started playing sort of senior football in the early seventies when I was still a teenager. <clears throat> I think I was fifteen when I played my first game in the seniors, which is hard to believe. I played one game, I think, at prop. Still too, at that's ridiculous. No, I wasn't. No, I no. wasn't prop. Um, I was on the wing. I, mean, I was a winger. I was always in the backs. Yeah, uh, and my brother played. He was prop second row. Okay. He started. The nineteen seventy five World Cup, your debut for New Zealand, Australia and Australians really hadn't seen you before that. What was the the step up like and what was the experience of playing in a in a different World Cup like? Um I think the main thing that hit, hit me was playing against the Australians and um how much faster they were. Okay. How much harder they – just, I think, mainly fitness. Yep. They were just so, so much fitter. I mean, as you said before, was, uh, the Auckland competition was packed with a lot of hard men. Yeah. But it was just not on the same level fitness-wise as, as the Australians. And I think that, that was the main thing that, that uh, struck me of was how, how much faster it was against them. Um, obviously, being an 18-year-old, that's yeah. when I made my debut um, – you know, I was a little bit. Uh, I guess I was a little bit intimidated by it all. Mm. But um, once I started playing against those teams, that sort of factor sort of went out of my head, and I started, you know, what really wanted to compete. The main thing about '75, I think, one of the other things was when we, because it was played in the southern hemisphere, and then right. and then later on in the year it was played in the northern hemisphere. So we went, we went over to the UK and France. And uh, we played. I remember. So my first debut game 
was against Wales at Swansea. Wow. And that, <clears throat> that's probably the one I remember. Yeah. Remember the most uh, because the the Welsh pack was a lot of ex rugby union guys. Yep, and they were all six foot plus, six foot four, six foot three, and just and that you know big mean thugs. (laughs) And probably probably the the meanest and toughest was a bloke called Jim Mills, and um, that was you probably I don't know if you know. What happened in that test match? But that was a test match where our prop John Greengrass was his name. Yeah, he scored a try, and as soon as he put the ball down, and the the Welsh team were coming retreating back to the trial line, waiting for the conversion. On the way back, Jim Mills kicks him in the head, puts a couple into his into his jaw, and uh, and as soon as he done it. He just kept walking off because he knew he'd get sent off. Um, and Greengrass, that was the end of the game. After the game, um, game Greengrass was getting stitched up in the um, in the dressing room. His whole side had been opened up. Jesus. So you know those are the kind of things that you don't you don't forget. Let's get together and fight a fish for medical research in Australia's biggest fishing competition, the Pertec Fishing Challenge. Fish your favourite spots right across Australia. There's over $280,000 in cash and prizes to be won. It's only $30 plus postage to enter and we'll send you this cool cap, brag mat and sticker. Proudly supporting Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia and the Peter Duncan Neurosciences Research Unit. Enter now at pertecfishingchallenge.com.au. Yeah, it was quite uh, talking about it now in this day and age. Yeah. It doesn't seem real. Yeah, but that's the kind of thuggery that was going on in those days. Obviously, Jim was probably the worst. Yep, and he he won't mind me saying because um, you know we were we became partners in nightclubs <laughs> later on down the track. Uh, one of the nicest blokes yeah. you could ever meet off the field. Yep, but when he's when he when he saw blue. Mate, there's no 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 coming back from him, um, and not many people could could beat him. There's aggression and there's thuggery. That era had both. Oh, very much so. Because I went and played in England in 1976 for Wigan. Yes, I was only uh, I turned ni- uh, turned 19 over there. Sorry, I was 19 going over there, and I turned 20. But um, uh, that was a bit of a turning point for me because. Um, they just appointed a new coach. They were trying to build a new team, <clears throat> and the coach was a bloke called Vince Coralius. Uh, the raging who, bull. Who was, uh, you know, they talk about Gordon Tallis being their raging bull. Well, sorry, yep. Vince Coralius was the original raging bull. And mm-hmm. uh, and if you've ever seen clips of how he played, and <clears throat> not just that, as a man, just such he became a, a mentor for me, and, um, you know, I really looked up to him. But, Is he uh, the toughest of the lot? Uh, it sounds like, seems to be. Yeah. Because I made sure that I um, to- always like to talk to a lot of the old Australian players when I'm being at functions and that, like yeah. Johnny Raper when they were alive, Ned Kelly, mm. so, um, and Norm Proven when he, when he was coaching yeah. me. And I always asked, what, what was he like, Vince Coralius? And they, they all, straight away, they just looked at me in the eye and just shook their heads. Wow. Without even speaking. And they said, mate. So that told me everything. but And then I'd heard it from everyone else. Um, but one of the nicest blokes you'll ever meet once again. Yeah. But um, he was just he was just ruthless, just 
Who did you regard as the tough guys when you were making your name? Because as a 19-year-old in a, a difficult position on the football field, you really had to stand up, otherwise you were going to get bullied, you were going to get bashed. Who did you see as the benchmark, the guys that you wanted to be like? Um, I remember when I was in Auckland, um, I used to watch the Sydney League and um, and I always used to watch um, and I think Malcolm Reilly and that had just come over there, so yeah. he, he was probably one. Yep. Because he was, uh, he was just a typical prototype for a Pommy Ford in those days. Yeah. He was very skillful, but he was also a dirty bastard when he had when he had to be. Yeah, um, and take no prisoners with him. And he, and you know, they. That's the one thing I learned about when I was at Wigan. Mm. One of the first games I played over there, um, our prop waited for their prop to come through. He fainted to tackle him. When the bloke come near him, he just put his elbow straight up, cracked him in the jaw, broke his jaw straight away and he just got sent straight off. And I was right next to that. That was one of my first games against Warrington it was. Wow. And I just stood there shaking thinking, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to get a lot better than – I'm going to have to have eyes in the back of my head if I'm going to survive. <clears throat> so, Mel, yeah, Malcolm yeah. really, I think Terry Randall was always pretty hard guy, you yep. know, good, really good hard tackler. Um, I always thought Ray Price was was a hard guy mm. because you could just knock the shit out of him, but he'd just keep bouncing up. I think he's paying for it now, though. Um, yeah, poor bugger. Yeah, poor but he, he was he was he was really t- just one of those wiry guys that were really tough. Um, who else was there? <clears throat> and before me, you know that era of John O'Neill and all, oh, all of those yeah. guys, Georgie Piggins, because I sort of met George later on, and you can just tell guys are, are hard, you know. They yeah. don't even talk about themselves. No. But you just you just know. You obviously did something right in the World Cup because everyone wanted a little bit of Kurt Sorensen. You as you said, you ended up at Wigan. In terms of life change, the world was a different place. There was no internet, there was no mobile phones, you couldn't FaceTime. Um, it was a day to get over there on an aeroplane. Nineteen year old kid. Auckland to the north of England in the seventies is a huge life difference. Yeah, um, very, very much so. For in those days, for a young guy from New Zealand to get the opportunity to be asked to go to England, yes, um, they'd obviously see me playing in the World Cup, yep. and someone from Wigan rang up someone from Auckland, the media guys, and they got talking, and then and then then the the board got involved, and then the board, someone on the board, rang me up. Would you like to come and play for Wigan, lad? <laughs> and I just said, "Oh, where do I sign?" Yeah, and, um, yeah. It was it was an opportunity of a lifetime. And then it turns out Vince Corrales was coach, and I'd made some lifelong friends when I went there. But yeah, as you say, everything was different, mm. and I still remember. I can still see it. So it proves I haven't got bad dementia yet. <laughs> no doubt I'll be getting it sometime, like everyone else. Um, but the fashion. One of the biggest things was the fashion. And that was the seventies, so that was mid seventies. Yeah, and I can remember, I, I, coming from little old New Zealand, which was still very much a very, you know, very isolated and yep. pretty country place, um, to you know England, where it was fashions and the swinging sixties, while yeah. it just been and the music and everything. 
Um, I remember the fashions, and there was these full-length leather leather coats that they were wearing, and I, I came home with about three of them because, <laughs> whoa. Uh, and then bell-bottoms, these big bell-bottom pants, yes. and, and then the shoes, platform shoes, about that big. So it was just, yes, after that visit and living there, it just changed everything in my in my scope of seeing the world, how I saw the world. How did you end up at Cronulla? I think Dane had gone there two years earlier maybe. No, he, he went there and I went to England in October 76. Yep. And our team, Mount Wellington, had just won the, cha- won the championship then. Uh, and then Cronulla came over him, came over for him in December 76. Yep. And signed him up, and then he went over in January '77 to start the '77 season. So he was over there in '77. I was still playing in England. I came back in March '77, but in between, and this is another thing that I remember, which seems unreal. He was writing letters to me. You know, just the fact of writing letters like yeah. you, you never hear of that hardly now. No, and just telling me. Um, because I was telling him how they've off, they were offering me a th- another three-year contract. I was thinking about going back and he said, mate, I don't know why you're thinking about going there. I'm over here now. There's sun, sunshine, there's surf, which we were both into, and there's Sheila's. Mate, on tap, on tap. <laughs> Get yourself over here. So I don't know if that, that should be said on the podcast. But, uh, was, it the, was it the sun, the surf, or the Sheila's that actually secured the deal? <laughs> No, the whole lot. Well, and the, the last thing on the end was probably a, a good thing because we were into them as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that, that sort of clinched it for me. I thought, yeah, nah, yeah. because I think deep down we always knew that the Australian League was the hardest one. Okay. And we'd, we'd, we'd achieved our goals of playing for New Zealand at an early age and then we yep. sort of said, well, where's the next, where's the next goal to, to get to? Being able to experience the journey or a lot of it with your brother – Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, um, very much so. Just just the way it sort of happened. Like we we all he he's a year older than me. Yep. But um, our mother put us in the same age group when we were four and five, because okay. because um, it was going to be easier for her to take us to training, just the one training session. Yeah. So I had to play up a year, but I reckon that sort of helped me in the end. Yep. Even though I was a little bit smaller. Um, and that the team that we played for when we were four and five was it was called Eastern Suburbs the club then, but later changed their name to Mount Wellington. Yes, because they were you know on the Eastern Suburbs of, of Auckland. Yep. Then became Mount Wellington, <clears throat> and um, we had a coach. His name was Tom Newton. Um, he was a New Zealand Maori coach. Okay. And we had him right from minors, which is under four and five. Right through to senior level, he be, and he became coach of the Mount Wellington senior team a couple of years. Wow! So he was, and he became our mentor. I bet. <clears throat> um, and he was, so we we credit him with, with a lot of our success because he was just one of those one coaches that taught the basics mm. from from sunrise to sunset, and in the end, you just the basics you just knew off. <laughs> It became like second nature. Yeah. I love footy. I understand society has changed. I understand that the game 
has to change with it. It doesn't mean I have to like it. But playing prop or hooker in the 70s doesn't look anything like playing prop or hooker in the modern game. Actually, they're almost completely different positions, aren't they? Yeah, very, very much so. Um, you know, in those days, in the 70s and that, and before <clears throat> the hooker copped the brunt of a lot of the stuff that used to go on in scrums. And that's why you see a lot of the old hookers with broken noses and yep. broken cheekbones. And, and um, I mean, you know, I was the same with hookers. I, you know, you try to belt them from the second row because mm. possession was everything. Yeah. And there, there they were, the poor buggers with their, their arms up like that and they couldn't really defend themselves. Yeah, so they were defenceless, weren't they? They, they had to be so tough mm. to, to play that position. And, and as you say, it was so different. Um, to, to today's game. Five seasons with the Sharks on your first stint there. What stands out? Because at the time, the Sharks had only come in in 67. Some years were a real battle. It yeah. was tough. <clears throat> yeah, it was. Um, but uh, when I was there, we were sort of um, – they'd just been in the in – the, um, grand final in 78. Yep. Norm Proven was the coach for the two, those couple of years – and um, so I, I sort of came in just after 78. Well, I, I started – I had to stand down 78 season um, mm. and then I started in 79. But, yeah, it was, all, it was always pretty tough. Mm. Um, but we just loved it so much there. We loved the lifestyle yeah. and, and, you know, you, you settled in the area and we just loved the place. So we just wanted to stay and then, um, and then things – Things changed, especially in '83 when they <clears throat> when they told us we had to. Um, mm. They they got us before pre-season training and said, "Listen, fellas, uh, the club's going to go broke unless you take half a pay cut, ha- ha- receive half of your uh, contract money, and that's the only way we're going to do um, get through the next couple of seasons." So you know, we were just standing there going, well, "What the hell do we do?" Yeah, bloody start yeah. of the season. So, you know, things like that, we eventually got through it. But that sort of made us change in 84 and go and play for East. There was a group of you that left, wasn't there? <laughs> yeah. And that was, that was real sad because it was a real sad reason to go and play for East because really yeah. we, we, had a, we talked about with our manager and he said, oh, well, Jack Gibson's coming in 85. I said, oh, well, so why don't you just go and play for East for one year and then go back to Cronulla in mm. 85 and... You know, when you look back, you think, "God, that, how terrible was that to go to Eastern Suburbs just for one year on those for those reasons?" So your heart's not going to be really in it yep. because you know you're going back to Cronulla, and of course, we suffered. I, I was mainly in reserve grade that year. My brother was first in reserve grade. Um, I felt sorry for the coach, poor coach Laurie Fryer because he just had a nightmare of a season. In 2023, this is what you can expect from Unfiltered. The Legend Series starts your working week, featuring interviews with some of the game's finest, in-depth and personal. We talk footy and life in a subtle mix you can't or won't hear anywhere else. On Thursday, the Rugby League Superpod returns 12 different player interviews every single episode. It's fast-paced, and if you like a laugh with your footy, This is for you. It's the weekly show you can't miss. Then on Saturday, it's Dream Team time. 
Who would you name in your best ever 13? We ask that question to players past and present. We don't always agree, but that's what it's about. The ultimate argument starter. Who is the best 13 ever? Be sure to follow us on social media to keep up to date on who's coming onto the podcast. We're all over Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Andy Raymond. Or you can check out the website, andyraymondunfiltered.com.au. Before you go, do a mate a favour and when you're done here, leave a five-star rating and write a quick review for us on the podcast app you're listening on. In terms of business, it's huge for us and it allows us to keep creating the content you love for free. Make sure you come back soon, legends.